0: Care Stories of Hope and Healing podcast. We have 11 episodes exploring the Hope and Healing Framework. This framework sets the foundation for caring and working with young people in residential care in a way that understands and responds to trauma. The Hope and Healing Framework was written by Encompass Family and Community. In this podcast series, you will be listening to the stories of young people previously in residential care, practitioners with residential care experience, and experts who were part of the advisory group for the Hope and Healing Framework or are specialists in trauma and child protection. All young people and staff have been given a pseudonym to protect their confidentiality. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are warned that episodes may include names and voices of people who have since passed away
1: if the kid sees their parent communicating with like the youth worker especially if they love their parents and like most kids they like, get taken off and you know they've had some horrible stuff done to them they still care about their parents very much they see them talking to the youth worker they're going huh well maybe they're not so bad after all
2: hopefully if the kids can see that yeah everyone involved in their life is working together really well that'll help them feel more stable and safe
3: Welcome to the 10th and penultimate episode of Pete Care's Stories of Hope and Healing. I am your host, Hayley Holst from Pracademics. In this episode, we will be exploring how the hope and healing framework may apply when working with families. As this podcast will be listened to throughout Queensland, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of these lands and pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging community leaders. We also acknowledge the hardships endured by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and families and hope that this podcast is sensitive to their experiences. We would also like to acknowledge the important contributions made by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, professionals and volunteers in the child protection sector in Queensland. In this episode, you'll be hearing from three young people, Chantel, Mark and Bob, as well as two experienced residential care staff, Tony and Chad. You will also be hearing again from Dion Tatao from Kwatsuk and Lisa Hillen, who was part of the expert advisory group for the Hope and Healing Framework. We hope that their stories and ideas will bring to life this important element of hope and healing. One of the key principles of the Hope and Healing Framework is that care should occur within the context of family. The framework highlights that the residential care service system cannot interface with the young person in isolation from family and it is imperative that residential care staff work in partnership with family wherever possible. We asked residential care worker Tony about families being part of the young person's care team.
2: Yeah, they're, they're an essential part of the care team because um, just naturally they're going to be, you know, the most... Uh, connected with the child and the child's going to be most connected with them so they, they need to be part of that uh, absolutely we know that young people always benefit when they can see that the people supporting them uh, uh, have a strong connection with the, the you know the, the families and the people that the young people are connected to
3: when we spoke to dion tau from the queensland aboriginal and torres strait islander child protection peak he emphasised the importance of working collaboratively with families and the broader community for the well-being of children and young people.
4: And I guess there's for carers and for professionals working in the field, do it collaboratively. If, if somebody's doing something over here and not linking in with, you know, somebody else over here that's doing something for the young person, then they're going to be fragmented again. You know, the, the fragmentation will affect the, the young people again, so work together. For the best possible outcomes, professionals, community groups, elders, family members, everybody that's involved in, in supporting that young person.
5: Dion emphasised the importance of all members of the care team working collaboratively. One point to note for residential care workers is that all work with families should be based on what is agreed in the care plan. The level and nature of family contact should be directed or approved by the child safety officer with consultation of the broader care team. However, residential care workers can play an important role in actioning these plans through building relationships with the family. Chantelle also told us that she thought it would be helpful for residential care staff to build relationships with families. She thought this could help the young person in a few ways. First, it may facilitate approved contact. Second, Chantelle also thought that seeing residential care workers make the effort to build a relationship with families may improve the relationship between the young person and the residential care worker.
1: Maybe the parents and the youth workers could communicate would be a good thing because, like, it'd take the pressure off child safety as well. Because if the kid sees their parent communicating with, like, the youth worker, especially if they they love their parents and, like, most kids, like, get taken off and even though they've had some horrible stuff done to them, they still care about their parents very much. They see them talking to the youth worker, they're going huh, well, maybe they're not so bad after all.
3: So while it is really important to work with families for the best interest of children, it is not always that easy. Tony explained to us about why families may be resistant in efforts to include them.
2: Families involved in the child protection system, just see child safety is, you know, the people who took the children away. Um, so um, I, I find that quite often that... Um, uh, Your service providers are in a better position to uh, maybe help, uh, you know, build those connections with families more than, say, child safety. But that's something that we always want to work towards, you know, uh, families uh, sort of working with child safety as well. Um, Like I said before, you know, uh, hopefully if the kids can see that everyone involved in their life is working together really well, that'll help them feel more stable and safe.
3: So residential care workers may be in a unique position to build relationships with families. Chad explained how staff may go about doing this by being clear about their role and slowly building trust with families.
5: The biggest one
6: is that you know, they see us probably as departmental staff, um, but when you explain that, you no, know, we're not departmental staff. You know, we're totally separate, and our role, and explain our role, you know, and, and encourage them to support us in supporting their family. Because ultimately, we're only on a part of that young person's journey at that moment in time. But if we can show the family and we commit to the family and what we say we do with the family and, and build that trust, that generally works as well.
3: Dion also had some ideas about where to start with engaging families.
4: Find somebody within the family, Um, who is willing to be there for the young person it only has to be one person it could be auntie you know an auntie an uncle a cousin Um, find that one person who really will be there for that young young person Um, and then they'll either growl at or encourage other members of the family to, to 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 become involved
3: at this point, we should highlight that it may not be appropriate to work with families in every single case, and not all young people are ready or wanting to establish those family connections. Young person Bob spoke to us about this and gave us some advice around how residential care workers should listen to young people around these issues.
6: Um, I said that you know, I don't want much contact um, with my family, because like, I knew what was going on, and there was never that sort of, like, family relationship between us. But it would have been nice for them to actually, like, do as I adapt. Just listen to the young people. If they've requested something, whether it's going out to cultural events or, like, you know, wanting more or less with family... To actually respect that and help them with it or take them to the events or the visits or if you can't do that, um, ask somebody who can or get somebody in who can do that.
5: Bob reminds us that the matter of family contact is very complex. Young people have to be both listened to as well as supported to have the level of contact that is right for them. Residential care workers may be able to support young people to have their perspective heard by their care team. Alternatively, at other times, residential care workers may need to support young people to maintain an appropriate level of contact with their family. This may be more or less contact than the young person desires. For example, a young person might need to be encouraged to have contact with a safe family member, while another young person may need to be discouraged from unplanned contact with an unsafe family member. In both instances, it is important for young people to be heard during decision-making and residential care staff to support the care plan.
3: The Hope and Healing Framework also emphasizes the importance of families forming part of the young person's community when location enables this. Where the young person's location is some distance from the family, Efforts should be made to ensure that other means are used to connect regularly with their family. Young person Mark spoke to us about the challenges he experienced with family contact due to the fact that his family lived interstate.
7: When I was growing up in foster care, I used to you know, fly to Tasmania every now and then and I'd, I'd connect with family but I only ever had two weeks and that was one week for one side of the family, which was my mum's side, and one week for dad's side of the family. That was over the Christmas period where people already had plans, and I mean, if you found out you know last minute that oh they're still they're coming down this year, you know they're only going to be here for a week you've already got plans to see your family and you know your your brothers and sisters and all the rest you can't really make time to see the nieces and nephews because it becomes a bit of a sticky situation, whereas you know if it was sort of Even just a phone call, um, I I never really got to have phone calls. The only connection I had was that two weeks, you know, every year or two um, if I was lucky. And that that wasn't really choosing who I got to saw. I only ever got to see who I was lucky enough to see. One thing I would have quite enjoyed with connecting with family would be something as simple as a phone call. You know, each week ring up a family member, say me granddad or me auntie or me uncle, and go, hey, you know, how you going? Just spend 10 minutes on the phone and connect with them and then they might pass me on to someone else that's there at the time and having that connection so that once you've left foster care, you know, once you're 18, you're out on your own and you can freely travel interstate, you can, I, I could fly to Tasmania and I've already got the connection with these people where I can sort of rock up to an uncle's house or, or a niece's house or a grandfather's house and sort of just knock on the door, hey, how you going, I haven't seen you in so long, rather than, you know, to be taken there by someone else and not know who I'm talking to. They know who I am, but I have no clue who, who, whose house I'm at. Um, I remember one time when I was about 16, I went to a family member's house, I went to my uncle's house and I, I couldn't remember this person for the life of me. I could not remember who they were, but they've known me from the day I was born. They were there at the hospital when I was born and they've known me my entire life. But for me, I had no clue who it was. They were so excited to see me, but I didn't know who they were because I didn't have that family connection. And this is the first time I'd seen them in, you know, 16 years since I was born. I'd never remembered them. I had no memories because I didn't have that connection. It is obviously so hard to connect someone at the other end of the country with family in a physical sense. But something as simple as a phone call or Skype or something like that could make all the difference, I I think.
3: Mark's stories highlights some real challenges for young people that are residing some distance from their family. His ideas about weekly phone calls to extended family members might be simple, but, as he said, could make all the difference. Finally, to truly engage families, it is important that they don't feel judged by residential care workers for the situation they are in. Lisa Hillen reminded us to keep in mind that families often have minimal resources and support prior to their children coming into care.
2: One of the
1: things that I really learned very early on in residential care is that residential care systems have a thousand more resources than families have.
0: Um, And if
1: families had half the resources that residential care systems have, they may not have the complexity of, of being able to care for their young ones as effectively.
3: To conclude this episode, we have a few questions for reflection. Does a young person in your care have family members included in their care team? And what more could your service do to facilitate meaningful contact between young people and their families? Thank you for listening to this episode of Peak Care Stories of Hope and Healing. We hope you enjoyed this episode and the stories and examples shared help to understand how to work with families of young people in residential care. Our final episode will be exploring how the hope and healing framework may be applied when working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people.
4: Break their culture every day. Unless you have a full understanding of their story, you probably don't know where to start.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and gained a better insight into what the concepts mean in your day to day roles with children and young people. We are indebted to the time and wisdom of our interviewees and would like to thank the Create Foundation for their support with interviewing the young people. Be sure to check out our show notes for additional resources for the episode. You can also check out our other episodes in the Stories of Hope and Healing series through your favourite podcast app or by visiting peakcare.org.au or pracademics.org.au This has been produced and narrated by Pracademics Inc All music has been produced by me Matthew Schrader